0: I hope you have an attitude that if godly people say, you know, I have a little question about that. That didn't sit well with me. Instead of fighting for your right to do what you want to do, that your spirit and your attitude is, oh, I don't want to do anything that would cause my brother to offend. I don't want to do anything that would be an issue. See, the attitude behind what you do is sometimes more significant than what you do. The why is sometimes a bigger deal than the what. So I want to encourage you to have that teachable, open, and helpable spirit. And I'm going to do my best to give you some things from the Word of God. As I started thinking about this particular topic that I was assigned and had agreed to do, I, I probably wouldn't have done it for anybody except Brother Chapel. I thought of this verse, and it may seem a little bit out of context. It's not particularly a passage about music. It's a passage about speaking in tongues. And the Apostle Paul is moved by the Spirit of God to say, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. John Phillips. Very excellent commentator said about this passage if he is going to pray, if he is going to sing, he is going to make quite sure that he is in the spirit and that he employs reason as a part of the process. I haven't always done everything I've done in the spirit. When I was in college, I got a call slip from the chairman of the music department. I regularly got such slips from the dean of man and my dormitory supervisor. It's their desire to mentor me and encourage me. And I thought, what in the world did I do to get in trouble with the chairman of the music department? I wasn't taking any music lessons. I wasn't in any choirs. I didn't have anything to do with the music department. So I went to see him, and he said, somebody recommended you to sing in this choir. I said, Oh. So he said, sing this song, and I sang it, and he said, I'll sing this part, and you sing that, and I sang it, and he saw how high I could go, and how low I could go, and he said, you want to be in the choir? I said, okay. Later on, he said, you ought to take voice lessons. So I took voice lessons. At least where I went to school, it was a very negative experience. They give you a thing called a conconi. and it's a bunch of melodies that you learn, but you sing them all to the word No, no. No, I don't know. why I couldn't sing yes, but you'd sing no to everything. <laughs> the first song you ever taught me to sing was the song "No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus," and I learned it. And he taught me to sing it, and I sang it. Years later, while I was pastoring our church, probably this would have been thirty-five years ago, maybe, th- maybe, maybe thirty years ago. Uh, it was my turn to sing on the music calendar, and so. I thought, well, I'll sing no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I went over it with a piano player. I knew the song. I'd known it for years. And I got up to sing. Now, I wasn't being vain. I wasn't thinking, wow, I'm going to knock their socks off with this song. I bet I'll get a recording contract out of this. I just knew the song, and I knew that I could sing it, and I knew that I could do my job. So I get up, and I sang, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. And my mind went totally Completely, unchangeably blank. And I thought, I'll make up the words to the verse and I'll get it on the chorus. I sang, he's so wonderful and good and kind and true. He is faithful and his love is everlasting. What he's done for me, I know he'll do for you. I got it. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I made up the chorus. I made up the second verse. I made up the second chorus. I think I ran out of rhymes by the end of the deal. One of my secretaries thought, oh, he found new words of that song. And she said, no, he's making that up. Now, what was my problem? I was singing. I was singing. I intended to sing a good song. My sweet, wonderful Christian, Charles Weigel. I was singing. I was doing my best. I was capable, I thought, of ministering to the people in song. I was not singing with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, guide us as we look at your Word. Help me to be prompted by your Spirit to say things that I might not have intended to say, but that might be just particularly what someone needs. Help me to leave out anything that wouldn't be helpful. Help me, Heavenly Father, to be clear, and Lord, help us to be good ground to receive what you have for us from your word, and use this time to your glory and to your profit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Music was created by God. Job said, God said to Job, where were you when the morning stars sang together? Scientists have discovered, more recently than that, that stars actually emit sounds. You know, don't always be so critical of science. Every once in a while, if you give them enough time, they catch up with the Bible. Music is commanded by God. Psalm 34, sing unto the Lord. O oh, ye saints of His. Psalm 33, 3, sing unto Him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Psalm 47, 6, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. It was created by God. It was commanded by God. But like all of God's good gifts, it has been corrupted and commandeered by the world and the flesh and the devil. So let's look for a little bit at the purpose of music. I think you have your outline there. (coughs) Colossians 3, 16 and 17. You've been using, I suspect, (coughs) this verse as a part of the conference. Verse 17 says, what shall you do in word or deed? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. What's interesting to me is that it is in the context of verse 16. that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then it says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Whatever it means to do everything to the glory of God, whatever is included and encompassed, that, and I know the Bible tells us whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we should do all to the glory of God. It must mean that music is to be done to God's glory. That's the context of this passage. You really can't even make the argument that the passage talks about teaching and music because it says teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Music, godly music, glorifies God and it communicates biblical truth. The right kind of music does that. So. The purpose of music, number one, is to praise God. Uh, <coughs> I have a friend, I can tell I'll tell you his name, his he's name is Dave Musselman. He was in college when I was there. <coughs> Great piano player. I, I worked for his dad one summer, stayed in his father's mother's home. Uh, interestingly enough, in the same area, I right now pastor. And Dave Musselman, tremendous musician. He transferred to... Lynchburg Baptist College, about halfway through school, and, uh, and I said, well, what about their music? He said, oh, he said, I'm not going to do what they do in music. He said, you know, uh, I, I want to show them they can do it right, and he went, and he was a good piano player, and he came back, and he told about one song that was particularly, he thought, egregious, and particularly out of line, and he told how Doug Oldham sang that song in a Sunday morning service, and Jerry Falwell, the pastor, came and said, well, Doug, why don't you come back and sing The King is Coming, because he needed to get the service back on track. When he made his first record, some of you don't know what that is, but it'd be kind of like making a CD today. He made his first record. The title song was that song he had criticized. I said, Dave, I thought you told me that was a bad song. Well, he said, I wanted to show it could be done right. Okay. And he was really good. I'd have him come every Christmas to our church and he would do a Christmas concert. Tremendously talented. He'd take the names of four or five songs from the audience and he'd weave them into a beautiful arrangement that you would have thought he'd spent hours putting together. But over the years, I saw his attitude change. And he got to the point, he said to me, you know what, music is amoral. There's no such thing as good music or bad music. And then he said this, he said, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of what we do in Christian music is just entertainment. Christian entertainment. Several years ago, he called and he said, hey, how about me coming up and doing a concert? I said, well, Dave, I don't know. And I reminded him of some things that we believe. And it's interesting what he said to me. He said, man, when did you get like that? I said, I've been like that. I was like that when he first met me. When people change and you don't, they think there's something wrong with you. They get mad at you for not changing with them. Uh, people, people disdain us for using the same Bible they used to use. We do not do anything different than we've been doing since 1611. But they're upset about us for that. Now, I got news for you. Music is not to make the performer feel good. Music is not to make the audience feel good. Music is not to make the audience feel good about the performer. Now, I'm glad music lifts your spirit. I'm glad that it affects your emotion. I think that's clear in the Bible that it ought to do that. The Bible says to shout unto the Lord when you sing. The Bible says that we should rejoice. It's not wrong to do that, but be sure that, that you are feeling good because you're praising God. You can feel good about soul winning. You can feel good by taking drugs. One's right, the other's wrong. So the purpose is to praise God. It's all pointed to God. It's all directed to Him. It's all designed or should be designed to make Him happy. There's a strange phrase in the Bible. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now we don't usually think about us blessing God. We usually think about God blessing us. Praise the Lord. That's a blessing. God's been good. The Lord took care of that. Wonderful. But the Bible says God wants you to bless him. (coughs) God wants you to glorify him. God wants you to make him happy. And so the purpose of music, number one is to praise God. Number two is to profit the believer. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What's the place of music? As our second point, well, the music has a large place in your personal life. Ephesians chapter five, be not drunk with wine, verse eighteen, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself. And psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I try to begin every day as soon as I get up. Uh, I have done this for years and sometimes I slip away from it and remind myself to do it again. I try as soon as I get to start singing some good song, not out loud. I'm not willing to talk to I've been awake for a couple hours. But I, I, I sing praise him, praise him, like we just sang. Or victory in Jesus. And I try to have that in my spirit to, to turn my heart towards God and to make my spirit aware of the goodness and the blessing of God. And the right kind of music, the right kind of music with good lyrics and good notes, good melody, godly melody, can lift my heart in worship to God. There's a public place for music. I won't read you all of the passages, but music was used in the Bible at a time of victory. They did that in... Exodus chapter 15, when they crossed the Red Sea, it's used at a time of mourning. It's used at a time of celebration. It's used by Paul and Barnabas when they're going through a trial and they'd been beaten and were in stocks in the jail. It's used at a time of prayer when the disciples gathered with the Lord Jesus and he said, Watch and pray with me when they left after they'd sung a hymn, the Bible says, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So the place of music is in the Bible, public and personal. But I want you to think a minute about the power of music. The power of music according to the scriptures. You're very familiar with this. Most everybody that does a session on music uses this passage, and they do so quite appropriately. The Bible says that David was invited, required if you will, to play his harp for King Saul, and it came to pass, First Samuel sixteen twenty three, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. He was refreshed, he was well. The evil spirit departed from him, and people well say that music affects people emotionally and physically and spiritually. Now, that's what the Bible says. Did you know that society says the same thing? According to society, music affects us. Wall Street Journal had an article, February 11, 2012, about the British singer-songwriter called Adele. I was not familiar with her until I started to prepare for this. Adele's ballad, Someone Like You, I quote, <clears throat> has risen to near iconic status recently due in large part to its uncanny power to elicit tears and chills from its listeners. What explains the magic of Adele's song? Though personal experience and culture play into individual reactions, researchers have found that certain features of music are consistently associated with producing strong emotions in listeners. Combined with heartfelt lyrics and a powerhouse voice, these structures can send reward signals to our brains that rival any other pleasures. Twenty years ago, the British psychologist Psychologist John Sloboda conducted a simple experiment. He asked music lovers to identify passages of songs that reliably set off a physical reaction such as tears or goosebumps. Participants identified 20 tear-triggering passages. And when Dr. Sloboda analyzed their properties, a trend emerged. 18 contained a musical device called an appoggiatura. A Pagiatura is in a type, according to the Wall Street Journal, of an ornamental note that clashes with the melody just enough to create a dissonant sound. It might be like, if you know music a little bit, a major 7th. The B note added to the C chord. This generates tension in the listener, says Martin Goon a psychologist at the University of British Columbia who co-wrote a 2007 study on the subject. When the notes return to the anticipated melody, the tension resolves and it feels good. I guess as I go into to the dentist, it always feels good when he stops drilling. Now, I didn't write that. Wall Street Journal said, well, there's something in this music that <clears throat> produces certain emotions in people. I read of another study. Psychologists would put two teenagers in a room. They thought they were waiting for something else, but the waiting period was the experiment. They're being observed through what looked to them like a mirror, but was a glass that the other observers could see through, and they'd play classical music. They played classical music. These two teenagers, a boy and a girl who had never seen each other before, would talk. They would chat. Then they'd play rock music, and they said in every instance, within 20 minutes of (coughs) playing the rock and roll music, these two teenagers who had never seen each other before, never met each other, would begin making physical contact. Sometimes (coughs) holding hands, sometimes things more extensive. Then they'd stop playing the rock music, go back to the classical music, and they'd stop touching And the psychiatrist concluded it was the music that induced that behavior. Rod Stewart, not a fundamental Baptist preacher, said, and I quote, I don't usually use this word, but I must use it for you to understand what I'm saying. Rod Stewart said, rock music is sex. That's what it's about. David Merrill did a study with rats He wondered if music had an effect on them. He got 72 mice and divided them into three groups. One that listened to Mozart, one that listened to hard rock, and a control group that didn't hear any music at all, rock or classical. He had them going through mazes and aquariums in his basement. He started playing the music 10 hours a day. He put each... Mice through a maze three times a week that originally had taken the mice an average of 10 minutes to complete. Over time, the 24 control group mice managed to shave about five minutes from their maze completion time. The Mozart listening mice managed to cut their time back by eight and a half minutes, but the hard rock mice added 20 minutes to their time, making their average maze running time 300% more than their original average. But here's the most interesting thing. Merrill said, I had to cut my project short because all the hard rock mice killed each other. None of the classical mice did that. Valerie Stratton and Annette Zelenowski in the Journal of Musical Therapy, not a Christian publication, (coughs) subjected two groups of people to 21 days of different music. One group heard country music. I'm not a big fan of country music. They used to say that there was these things in in, uh, music called backward masking. And they say if you play the rock music backwards, there were satanic messages in it. If you play country music backwards, you get your truck back, you get your wife back, you get your dog back. One group heard country music, one group heard heavy metal and rap. And at the end of 21 days, according to Stratton and Zelenowski, the hard rock, the heavy metal group, showed, quote, much more inappropriate behavior and self-abusiveness. And they found a positive correlation to suicide and a subscription to heavy metal magazines. Music affects you. So, according to these experiments and according to the Word of God, it can affect you for good. It can affect you for bad. I know you know this, but, but there's a silly attitude. And the only people who believe this, by the way, are Christians who use wrong kind of music. The world doesn't believe this, and we don't believe this. But they say, well, music is amoral. There's no such thing as a good note or a bad note. And by the way, that's true. See, I can go over to the piano here and, and I can play any note on the piano. And uh, is that a good note or a bad note? Just a note. What note is it? We got anybody with perfect pitch? Huh? Somebody said it. F. Yeah, it's an F. It's mm, just a note. So music's I'm oral. Okay, how about the letter A? Is that a good letter or a bad letter? It's just a letter. But you know, if I put letters together, they make words. And I got news for you, there are good words and bad words. I can draw just a little curve on a paper, a little line. It's just a curve or a line. But I put the curves and the lines together, I can make, I can't, but somebody can make beautiful pictures or they can make obscene pictures. That's just a note, but you put the notes together and it makes music. And music can be good or bad. Music is extremely powerful. Here's the problem with music. Letter A, there is a problem with intention. Here's what I'd like to do. Do we have a video there? Uh, No sound. I understand no sound, please. I don't want to get expelled. Uh, This video you'll be seeing is from a church in the Detroit area. It's their Easter celebration from 2008. Now, I have to be honest with you, most people who hear about the contemporary church don't realize it's as bad as it is. They think, well, maybe women don't dress nice, and the guy wears a pair of blue jeans, and, you know, they're just a little more casual. They don't realize exactly what's going on. This is an Easter celebration. This was put on YouTube. This they are bragging about. And let me give you some problems with intention. There are some people when they do music, they have a desire to be cool rather than to be Christ-like. I preached at a large youth conference years ago. There was a, a group singing. They were good guys. And, and they got in a section where they kind of went really high and and, uh, and uh, they were wailing is the word I would say. They, they were wailing when they were doing that. And the girls in the crowd screamed. And they weren't praising Jesus. They just liked the noise. They liked how it sounded. They liked looking at the boys as they sang that music. And I was back It was in a large coliseum, kind of an auditorium deal. And I said to the person I was with, I said, that is no different than the response at a rock concert. I say again, it's not about making the performer feel good. It's not about making the listener feel good. It's not about making, you. can you keep playing that? It should be eight minutes long. Didn't get to the good part yet. It gets really exciting at the end. As they zoom in, I want you to notice the expressions of rapturous joy and godly worship on the faces of the performers. I want you to think of how wonderful it would be to have your children be able to participate in a service like this, Uh, desire to be cool rather than to be Christ-like. And and there's something on the other side. Uh, I know people that want to have professionalism without passion and they want to get the notes right and they want to sing everything just right and let everything be just exactly like it ought to be but they have their rules of music and that's more important to them than glorifying God that's more important to them than getting the message across to the people I said to a well-known musician one time our music director's daughter had died and he and his wife those people are really they're really honoring God aren't they that just looked kind of exciting to me to see them uh, praising God that way by the way, I watched the more recent Easter version of this particular church, and now they are throwing beach balls out into the crowd and batting them around as a part of their Easter celebration. I'm not against batting beach balls, but I have no sense what in the world that does to glorify God. I have no understanding what that does except to just create an aura of excitement and use the music to draw some emotions out of the crowd that have nothing to do with them being closer to God. I asked this musician about a song my, my music man and his wife had sung after their daughter died, Heaven Sounding Sweeter All the Time, beautiful song. And he said, oh, it's just heaven, home, and mama. And I remember thinking, of which, I wonder which one of those I'm against. Professionalism without passion. And then sensuality over spirituality. The senses over honoring God. Do the senses have to be involved? Absolutely. Is it okay to tell a joke when you preach and make a funny comment? Sure, I think it's perfectly fine. And we usually say something a little funny at the beginning of a of a service for a guest speaker and in a new church, so that uh, this is cool. Look at that. Isn't that that is really something. They all got their hoodies on and they're running around behind each other. That, boy, I bet you God's up in heaven saying, wow, this surely makes me happy. I've never seen anybody honor me quite this way. Crazy. (coughs) But when I make the feeling that I have more important than the blessing that God gets out of the music, the music then becomes about me and not about God. Amy Grant said, we're trying to do is take Christian principles and make them understandable. Even if it doesn't say Jesus, it doesn't matter. Rich Mullins said, I'm tired of all this heavy-handed Christianity. Musicians take themselves too seriously. They should have more fun Looks like somebody at that church got that message. They should stop preaching. Michael W. Smith's album Change Your World has 2,819 words. Jesus' name is mentioned, none. His song, I'll Lead You Home, 2,046 words. The name of Jesus never occurs. His song, I Live the Life, has 1,100 words, and the name of Jesus never occurs. In the book, What's What About Christian Rock by Dan Peters, which is a positive kind of a promotion of Christian rock. They interviewed different musicians and they asked them what their purpose was in music. And only three times out of 153, did anybody say that it was to praise God. Now, that church you just saw, by the way, that church was once pastored by J. Frank Norris. It was pastored by G.B. Vick and A.V. Henderson. Great men of God of the past. It used to be called the Temple Baptist Church of Detroit. My dad ran the rescue mission. We used their large fellowship area for his banquets on a regular basis. Now they call it Northridge Church. The pastor, by the way, is Wally Beebe, Mr. Buss's son-in-law. what did they do they said we're going to do whatever we need to to attract people we're going to transition to church and they said look at all the people we're getting well i got an idea if you really want a big crowd give away free beer a lot of people like beer give away martinis give away hey california probably get away with giving away marijuana You wouldn't do that. That doesn't honor God. Neither does that kind of stuff. Let me talk to you a moment about the personnel of music. Problem music, we have a desire to be cool rather than to be Christ-like or we want to be professional rather than having passion or you have the sensual over the spiritual. The personnel of music Let me say a few things about this that maybe haven't been said. Musicians should be, number one, people of talent. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 18 that David was cunning in playing on the harp. It means he was good at it. Can I recommend that most people, and when when you're younger than you are now, but you can still do it now, most people could learn something about music. You could learn to play the trumpets. You could learn to play of <coughs> guitar, mandolin, ukulele. You could learn something that could be useful in the service of God. You could learn to read the notes. You may not have a great voice. You may not have perfect pitch. You may still sometimes struggle to get to the right note. But, but you'd be amazed how many circumstances you'll get in where a rudimentary understanding of music can make a large difference in your ministry. man went out of our church years ago to Bible college and he went to Standish, Maine, and he started the Standish Baptist Church I just preached for him Monday and Tuesday. It was my 29th visit to that church. Brother Wilkins is not musically talented. He would not be chosen to sing in a special group at West Coast Baptist College. He would not be chosen to sing in a special group at a college of 100 students. But he got in that church and didn't have anybody who could play the piano. He didn't have anybody who could lead the singing. So we got our piano player to record some hymns from the hymn book on cassette tape and he learned how to wave his arms and direct the hymns. <coughs> and then... They needed some help with instruments, so he learned to play an instrument. I think he learned to play the trumpet. I think later on he learned to play the French horn. He didn't know much about it, but they needed to have a choir. Nobody else could direct the choir, so he got about ten people together and sat them in a little section, put them in a little section over on the side of the auditorium, and he went through some notes, and he tried to teach them the song, and they learned to sing. Now, that church had way better music than it would have had had he hadn't been willing to develop the little ability that he had learn something David was cunning and then they should be people of testimony everybody understands that a preacher needs to live a life that backs up his message everybody understands that parents need to have a, a life that teaches by their lips and by the way they live and by their words and their actions as well we get the idea as long as you're really good you can be a musician long as you're talented no talent is not enough the life of the musician must be a testimony that backs up what they sing i've read of experiments where they found out that that you can help the condition of patients in a mental institution by music but if the musicians were mentally unstable that that came across and it did not help the patients in other words the character and the life beliefs of the musician come across in music even if there are no lyrics so they need to be people of testimony and then they need to be people of trust when you get into church you're doing music for the pastor your job is to honor glorify god your job is to try to communicate truth through the music and your job <coughs> is to do it in a way the preacher likes there is a philosophy out there that because musicians are trained and educated most pastors don't know very much about music that the pastor ought to just leave that to the musician and let him do whatever he wants. no way jose the pastor is the pastor of the whole church You know Brother Chapel's story about meeting the guy out in the parking lot between services who wanted to find the Spanish pastor. And he was going to give him some material about some ecumenical gathering. Brother Chapel finally said, I am the Spanish pastor. Yeah, he is. I had a guy come all upset about some decision in our school, and he said, I want to talk to the board. I said, You are? Or have it at school board and they have one. <coughs> the, don't you get the idea that because you went to West Coast Baptist College and they had great productions and you learned some things about music, that, that you are superior to some sincere man of God who cannot carry a tune? If he's uncomfortable about some song you're doing, then don't do it. See, there's some people, they like wow music. They like music that ends big and strong, ba ba dum. And there's some people like ah music. That makes you feel, ah. They're both fine. My Jesus, I love these more, ah, than wow, and it's a great song. Amen. Blessed assurance is more wow than ah, and it's a great song. But don't you try to impose your will on the pastor. He needs to be able to trust you that you're not going to do anything that would embarrass him, anything that would disappoint him, that you're not going to try to push the envelope to get your agenda and have your way. I've said often about people and a staff, they needed to protect the pastor. Instead, they were exposing him to criticism. I don't know if anybody's here, and you're on the staff uh, of this church and this ministry, and I'm sure you would understand this and do this, but you know, everything your preacher does, everything happens here, is examined under a microscope. There is a college that employed, very, very small college, they employed a young lady, gave her a scholarship to search the web and find out all the bad things she could about Paul Chapel and West Coast Baptist Church and Lancaster Baptist College. Anything that could be criticized. That'd be a fun job, wouldn't it? Now, what that means is don't you unnecessarily expose him to criticism. Don't you do anything that's going to (coughs) cause him grief. (coughs) You should be a person of trust. And then let me close with a few principles of music. These are mine. I believe they're consistent with what we've been saying. And a couple of them, just my opinion. You don't have to believe them if you don't want to. But give me your four principles of music. Music should be compatible. Did you know the music and the words ought to match each other? There was kind of a folk Christian music era back in the 70s and uh, they, they even used that title in some of the books they had out and i don't remember the whole song but there's one song and, and it came out it's something like this when he came to me and i knew him twas a very happy day <laughs> sounded happy to me it needs to be compatible with the holiness of god Music starts to glorify a thrice holy God. Things that are questionable, things that are marginal, things that cause an inappropriate reaction, things that identify with the wrong crowd. Be real careful you don't put them in your music. It ought to be compatible with the holiness of God. It ought to be compatible with the truth of Scripture. Now, let me just give a little caveat. You can go to seed on this i i don't want to teach false doctrine in my music but some of my friends are extremely picky about things and so i get picky with them and they don't know what to say for example we sing the song when the trumpet of the lord shall sound and time shall be no more okay when does the trumpet of the lord sound when at the rapture when will time be no more at the end of the millennium, at least 1,007 years later, they stuck them together in one phrase. Now, I'm not mad at the song. i just make sure you know the difference. Uh, I, I had a music director was a little picky that way one time, and he sang the song, Footsteps of Jesus that Make the Pathway Glow. And I said, what does that mean? Did our Lord wear radioactive sandals? It didn't mean anything. They just needed a word to rhyme with go. They didn't go far enough down the alphabet. They just came to glow and stopped. Now, it should be compatible with the testimony of the church. Be sure uh, that your, your local church culture is going to be different from one part of the country to another. They're going to sing different songs at Gospelite Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina, where Bobby Robertson's been for 58 years. Then they're going to sing at the Standish Baptist Church in Maine, and that's okay. None of them are inappropriate songs at either place. None of them are sinful songs at either place. And understand the culture of your area and try to relate to those people. But, but don't go over a biblical line and make sure that it's compatible with the truth of the Word of God. And be sure that you don't offend anybody. There's some songs that are perfectly fine that you cannot do in a (coughs) a certain situation because they're harmful to the Christian life of the people there. I have heard occasionally polka music. I don't find anything offensive in polka music. I've got a deacon, and he'll never listen to polka music if I played a song like the Orange Blossom special, uh, <coughs> some adult activity, it would harm him because before he got saved, he played the accordion in bars and he played poker music. And all that poker music in his mind was identified with drinking and dancing and misbehavior. I told a joke one time. I told it for years. I heard it from an evangelist, a Baptist evangelist, a fundamental Baptist evangelist. And, uh, I told it at Faith Baptist Church in Canoga Park. And a dear man who's now in heaven, Brother Gregory, sat down afterwards and said, Brother, well, I can ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, would you please consider not telling that joke? I said, well, sure, Brother Gregory, why? And he said, I think it could make somebody have a wrong thought. I had never thought about that. And I said, Brother Gregory, I promise you, I'll never tell that joke again. Preach the same sermon? Always think of that joke when I preach this sermon. It's a great joke. (coughs) You'd laugh if I told it to you today. It wasn't intended in any way, I don't think, to be offensive, but... But Gregory thought it might have had somebody have a wrong thought so I'm not gonna tell the joke if he had that opinion about it somebody else might too why would I do something in my sermon that can cause somebody to not listen to what I'm saying and maybe worry about having somebody have wrong thoughts why would I want to do that why would you do something in your music that could get somebody off track spiritually to be compatible with the holiness of God should be identifiable as Christian Now, I know that there are beautiful songs uh, that have come, like the the melody that we sing with Search Me, O God, that was a Hawaiian song originally. I understand that. (coughs) But did you know that the Bible says we are to be a peculiar people? I mentioned that last night. Did you know that God says we're always to be a testimony? Whatever we do, we're always to glorify him. If I hear music and I can't tell if it's from Disney or from the church, it's probably not good music. Do you want the people in your church to look like they're going to a bar when they come into your church? Now, the truth is I want some of them to look like that because I want to be reaching unsaved people all the time. But I don't want the choir to look like that. I don't want the Sunday school teachers to look like that. Uh, I want people to, hey, oh, he's going to church. I want to be identifiable as a, I don't want people at my church to behave like they're at a Donald Trump political rally. <laughs> I've been to business meetings that are like that, but usually not the church service. You know, the Bible says... That the church ought to be identifiable. Here's what Jesus said, and this is an, an amazing statement. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Not that you believe me, not that you believe the Bible, not that you honor God. All those things are true. But he said, when the world looks at you, I want them to see that you love each other. And they ought to say, oh, those people are Christians. Look how they treat each other. Music should be identifiable as Christian. And this is my opinion. Music should be singable, particularly congregational music. Um, a lot of contemporary music is very hard to sing. It has irregular rhythms and it has uh, uh, irregular constructions in the timing of the music. Now, let me tell you why that happens, okay? Let me give you a little lesson on poetry. The difference between prose and poetry in general is that poetry has meter to it. Roses are red, violets are blue." Sugar is sweet, and so are you. Now, if I said, roses are red, violets are usually purple, but sometimes they're blue. I still got the words that are going to end up rhyming at the end of the phrase, but I stuck a bunch of stuff in there together. Here's my opinion. A friend of mine who puts scripture to music said, the hardest part is getting the math down. That means getting the meter, the right number of beats per line. That's what makes it memorable. That's what makes it singable. That's what makes it stick in your head. That's what makes the difference between poetry and prose. And the right kind of, of poetry that's written well has a rhythm and a flow that sticks in your head. You can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you and for their doubting, make allowance too. It's from Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, a great poem. I recommend that you memorize the poem. I think it'll help you. Now, there are some songs that have irregular music that are good songs and have a good message, and we sing them. We sing the song, The Value of One. It has a fairly irregular rhythm. But here's my opinion. Some guy just sat down with his guitar, and he started singing about like my daughters did when they were three. And some of the words were catchy, and some of the ideas were good. And so they just put it on tape, and then somebody tried to write it out where it was. And it's very hard to sing. There, there's some songs that are just awkward for the people to get together and understand and sing. But by the way, there's some songs I think would be perfectly fine for your devotions. I, I find the song, When Morning Gilds the Sky, a beautiful song of worship to the Lord Jesus, to be an eminently unsingable song for the average church congregation. All Hail the Power, that's a good old hymn, and you can sing that. Crown them with Many Crowns, that's a great old hymn of the faith, and you can sing that, but I I don't find that easy to sing. So I think some people just didn't do the hard work of getting the meter right, and it makes it awkward for them to sing. Let me just give you this thought. If you're going to be in music, it's better to do a simple song well than a complicated song poorly. Better have simple, easy harmonies and to try to do something clever and not get it right. And then my personal belief is that music should be memorable. One of the unique attributes of music is that it stays in your mind. Because of the words and the tune <coughs> being together, it stays in your mind. <coughs> I could sing you right now cigarette commercials. Most of you weren't even alive when cigarette commercials were allowed on the television and the radio. If I could see them to you. Because there's a young man riding around in the car with Dr. getch, and he'd be playing them. (laughs) (laughs) And here's what I think. I think if a song that you hear is a special, you're on a CD, if the song's not rattling around in your head, snatches of it a few days later, probably didn't fulfill its mission. The, the idea is to get the truth into your heart and into your mind. I, I carry Byron Fox's Bible songs for kids to my meetings and I encourage people to get them. I gave them to our daughters uh, when I started carrying them and they didn't play them. They thought probably they'd be kind of boring and probably past the pirate songs would be more exciting for the kids and that was alright. And then about Oh, my goodness, four or five months ago, our younger daughter, Katie, said, well, I'll play one of these songs. And she said, Dad, Sawyer loved it. Sawyer just turned three. And she said, Dad, two days later, Sawyer was singing those verses. She was singing words like condemnation. And she said, Dad, I was singing them too. So the music does get in your heart. If it's good music, be sure it's the right kind of music that gets in your heart. I'm going to give you one little thought, and I'll be done. But Getz said, we want to be out of here by 10 o'clock, and <clears throat> I'll give you a little change back. And I reserve the right to use the balance of my time at a future date. <laughs> I read years ago about a young man that was talking to his professor about his Bible reading. And he said, you know, I... Read my Bible this morning. Went through the passage. I, I did what I was supposed to do. And he said, I didn't get anything out of it. Now, I would have thought the teacher would say, well, here's how you can understand the passage and here's some things to do. Maybe you're on a cross reference and look up the words and understand the theme of the book. Teacher and the professor in a Bible college didn't say anything like that. He said, so? He said, what did God get out of it? God is a spirit, is spirit. The Bible says that worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then it says, the father seeketh such to worship him. So maybe the best question to ask is not, did we do that song well? Did we hit the right notes? Did I like that? Did it go over well with the people? Maybe the best question is to ask, What did God get out of it? Lord, use these simple thoughts, I pray, to help and encourage someone that they would be more Christ-like, more pleasing to you in their music. In Jesus' name, amen.